Everything you grew up with shapes your perception of color, your culture, and how you see objects and shapes. Well, I still am amazed when I go on walks or I'm in nature and I look around and all the shades and the colors. It's quite extraordinary. I just keep learning from it. Hello, everyone. I am so pleased to welcome you all here. From NYC by Design, this is The Mic, a podcast that offers an inside look into New York City's most creative minds. I am your host, Debbie Millman. From projects to products, inspirations, and more, join us each episode as I talk to members of New York City's illustrious design community about what makes design so outstanding. Not only is this episode of the mic being recorded in front of a live audience, but it is also kicking off our third season. Tune in to season three of The Mic to hear from the most innovative creators and emerging talents as they underscore design as a catalyst to help us build a better future together. Today, we are at the Bjorke Engels Group offices in Dumbo with a view of the Brooklyn Bridge and just a couple of blocks away from Kiki Kudakova's Spiral of Life installation. The captivating seating installation is now on view for the public to enjoy and was made possible by Impact by Design and New York by Design project brought to life by Caesar Stone, which we'll talk more about in a bit. I'm thrilled to be joined today by designers Kiki Kudakova and Zara Banger, both of whose work is as adventurous and vibrant as the outside environment that inspires it. In this interview, we're going to explore how color, organic forms, and materials found in the natural world can influence a designer's approach to their craft. Join us as we explore how design is shaped by nature. My first guest is Kiki Kudakova, a product, furniture, and lighting designer and winner of the 2021 Impact by Design Award for her sculptural bench titled Spiral of Life, now on view in Dumbo. Kiki balances her industrial design expertise and interest and appreciation for craft by coupling timeless raw materials with cutting edge technology. Kiki's work is bold, colorful, and aims to distinctively and positively impact people and the environment. Hello, Kiki. Hi. Thank you, everyone, for coming. My next guest is Sara Benger of Sara Benger Interiors, founded in New York City in 1993. The namesake high-end design firm specializes in residential projects, ranging from new construction to remodeling to turnkey installation. Committed to enhancing a client's quality of life, Sara Banger creates warm spaces by mixing color, pattern, textiles in a worldly approach that is equally functional and inviting. She is now applying Vastu in her practice, an ancient Vedic approach which I am very curious about. Hello, Sara. Hello, thank you. I'm so happy to have the opportunity to talk with you both to discuss nature's influence in both of your work. Sara, I want to start with you. You are a designer of interiors, and Kiki, you are a designer 
of objects, different mediums, but there is a similar ethos. Both of your work can be described as bold, colorful, and organic, as I mentioned. I'd love for each of you to share a bit of your personal experience with the bold, the colorful, and the organic outside of your creative endeavors. Sorry, you first. I think for me, I guess this is a bit about inspiration too, right? What sort of, I think for me, travel is one of my biggest inspirations when it comes to color, texture, especially countries like India, Brazil, Turkey, and Morocco. I'm from Turkey, so I grew up a lot with pattern and color and things layered on top of each other. So it feels second nature. So I just get so much inspiration going to these countries and seeing the way colors are used and how they're layered. And it's, it's just takes me out of myself, takes me out. It gives me a whole new way of designing. I think the other way for me is to go to these retrospectives of artists like Sophie Tauber-Arp and Sonia Delaunay and Hilmet Off-Clint. These are artists and women pioneers in their, in the world of art who've just have inspired me endlessly. They've somehow channeled this amazing gift of color and shapes and geometry and all different mediums. So this is something else I think that also gives me a lot of, of feeds me, feeds my soul in terms of color. And then the last would be stillness, which is a little bit of a, a, something completely different. Those moments when I'm just kind of completely still, whether meditation or whatever I end up doing, all the colors and combinations that come to me at those moments when I'm not being distracted by other things. So it's two extremes. So interesting. Stillness was not a word I was expecting to hear. How does stillness inspire your thoughts about the bold, the colorful, and the organic? It's a really interesting sort of dichotomy. Yeah, it is actually, because when you think about the difference between traveling and how active that is, I think with stillness is when I remove myself from the everyday life, the phone, the computer, and gives myself the space, I suddenly can feel just thoughts come up, ideas come up. Some of my best ideas come from times when I've been still at home or doing something very quiet. And it always fascinates me how just all of a sudden I'll think of a color combination or I'll have an idea about what to, how to design a particular project that I'm working on. Or, and these visions will just come up, but it has to come up without the distractions. Kiki, what about you? How have your personal experiences with bold, colorful, organic things outside of your creative endeavors inspired your creative mm. endeavors? I start with the color because it's something I really love. Not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in Bratislava in a modernist house from the 30s. And when my parents moved there in the 70s, a painter lived there. And this painter made all the walls like dark blue, dark red. So my parents were like, okay, this is a little too crazy, but it was the 70s, so they toned it down into maybe a yellow orange. And they furnished it with a very colorful furniture that was in the 70s and everything you can get in the Soviet country. I grew up in a kitchen that was yellow walls, green bench, orange pendant light, and a floral floor. And for me, that was normal. And every room was a different color. And my parents never changed it until this day. So it's still like that. <laughs> wow. And um, yeah, it's something that comes very natural to me. And also color for me, it's a lot of about energy because it's the light that makes the color and that triggers an emotion. 
And I very much feel like everything you grew up with shapes your perception of color, your culture, and how you see objects and shapes. So I think this is something where I get my color kick from. <laughs> I'm sort of afraid of color. Not surprising, given my <laughs> monochromatic presentation on a sort of 365 basis. For those of us, especially New Yorkers, who are really very comfortable, I think, wearing black, what advice would you give people to start to feel a little bit more freedom to experiment with color or to use color in their practices, whether it be for creative purposes, interior purposes, or just their wardrobe. The way I always start with clients sort of showing them lots of things and then telling them stream of consciousness just to pick what they like. Because I think people are afraid of color, but I think color adds so much to our lives. And, and I remember, I used to wear all black, I think early in my early days in New York. And then I remember I had this doctor once say to me, you should stop wearing black and start wearing color more. <laughs> Why did your doctor say that? He said it was, a, it was sort of a healing process that he felt was really important for me. And at the time, it was personal to me. And I told him at the time, I said, but I don't own anything colorful. And then it just started this journey for me because actually I've become now all about color. And this was many years ago. But I worked with one client and we worked with all this color and she also dressed very monochromatically. We started using more and more color in her interiors and I'll never forget she opened the door one day and she had a gray outfit on but pink flip-flop. So it was like one of those black and white films where suddenly you see a bit of color. So it's Progress. exciting. It's nice to see clients who are afraid of color break out of that and really embrace it and enjoy it and then come back to me later. Oftentimes they'll say, well, I'll use two colors. I said, no, let's use eight colors. And, wow. and, and they come back and say, you know, it's just such a pleasure to live in this space with all these colors. And, and I was in the Atlanta airport many years ago with two of my colleagues and we were all dressed in New York black. And a, a lovely older woman came up to us and said, girls, are you coming from a funeral? <laughs> And I looked at her and I said, no, we're New Yorkers. And she said, ah, of course, <laughs> and walked away. Kiki, you're wearing the most beautiful shade of pink. It's actually my wife's favorite color. Were you always that comfortable wearing these bright, beautiful, bold colors? I would say yes. <laughs> <laughs> were you influenced at all by Karim Rashid? I know you worked with him and he's I, uh, also a big fan of pink. Yeah. I think, yeah, definitely I'm always jealous of his outfit. <laughs> it's like inspiring. Yeah, I still have a lot of clothes from my mom from the 70s that are very bright colors and I wear those. I like to pick color. So I feel like black looks great on everyone. That's the way I feel too. At least I like to think so. Kiki, you're the winner of NYC by Design's Impact by Design competition in which participants were invited to submit design proposals that encourage new opportunities for public engagement. And your piece, Spiral of Life, consists of individually cut stone pieces connected by a metal structure, forming an undulating biomorphic form. We heard lots of different words today. We heard undulating, we heard sinuous, we heard sexy. Walk us through your creative process from interpreting the prompt to finding inspiration, to considering the material, and then your color choice, which was very surprising. I start with the, from the beginning. I was really excited to enter this competition because I always wanted to design something for the public. 
And this was such a huge opportunity. And think to, thanks to NYC by design, I could enter. And then it happened to be my winning entry that made it to the finals. And it was such a design challenge to design something three-dimensional out of this two-dimensional slabs without going through some expensive tooling or molding. So I used to have this toy when I was a kid. It reminded me there was a dinosaur puzzle. So there was this like separate pieces and you just place them on the central axis and you create this whole dinosaur skeleton. So there was a whole inspiration for my bench that's of course supposed to be modular, sizable in scale being able to adapt to any surrounding. And that was like the whole idea was to just give people a playground to sit however they like and just feel great on the bench. Why the name Spiral of Light? The spiral, after coming out of pandemic right now, I wanted to give people such a symbol of hope, a rebirth that elevates their spirit. It's a sculpture that's set in between very straight lines next to the Brooklyn Bridge and it's on concrete. And this is such a white organic shape that's just placed there. I think that's, that's just a symbol of hope, I would say. You already gave it away. You told the audience that it's white. What made you decide to use that color? For right now, I think Caesar Stone has three different shades of the outer material. And this one was the one that's spoke to me the most. The other ones were had a little structure to it and I liked how clean it is. And I think that serves the shape real well. Talk about your relationship with the Hudson River and how it informed mm -hmm. the design of Spiral of Life. Uh, I live close to the river and I go every day, I go to see the sunrise or the sunset and I love the breeze. And Hudson River is such an interesting river because out of the 315 miles, the last 100 miles are called a tidal estuary, which means the sweet water is mixed with the salty water and that creates such an interesting ecosystem. So the other day I was in the park in Transmitter and there was a seal swimming by. Oh. There was a, or a dolphin. Like the other day, I didn't see the dolphin, but there was a dolphin. So it's so interesting to to see this and the waves. And that's something that inspired the whole shape for me. The way in which people can sit is really unique. You can have people that might be sitting on it together, facing in opposite directions, but by connecting by looking at each other and almost leaning into each other. You can also have somebody sitting in one direction that doesn't have to have any engagement with the person sitting in the opposite direction. Talk about the design decisions in creating this type of dynamic. So I wanted to design it generous in size. Like when you think about a skate park or a playground, it's all organic shapes and you come there and you already know what to do or what you want to do. So. It's about the freedom of choice. I didn't want to give people any directions, but then you still have the space. You can talk, you don't have to. The other day I came there and I wanted to take a picture. There were six kids sitting on it <laughs> in different ways. And I'm like, okay, nowhere I can take a picture, but it made me really happy to see 
that everybody uses it in the way they want. Yeah, I mean, there is a sort of monkey bars like quality to it. Yeah. When I was sitting on it by myself, I was really tempted to put my legs up, but then I didn't want to scuff it with my heels. There is something wonderfully experimental about it. Mm -hmm. Was that something intentional or was that something that surprised you when it was finished? It's also a little contrast to the conventional public furniture, which is usually just made flat and that's something we see everywhere. So I think that's the organic shape that makes it more, how would I say, like more attractive for people. One of the things that I have talked about quite a lot on the mic, something that I'm really critical of is the way in which public seating has been designed to really thwart relaxing, spreading out, having that sprawl. And this is a wonderful exception to that, where I think people can really be free to be who they are and how they want to sit and how they want to exchange and talk. And the way that nature informs your work can be seen in the curvatures, the organic character. Sara, how does the natural world, specifically colors, shape your perspective as a designer? I mean, I think it's about how we were talking, you were talking about energy. And I think that's a lot of it, how you feel in a space. And I always think, I was thinking about this, I thought people always feel good in nature. And so when you think about nature, you think about all the colors in nature and the layers of colors. And I don't think people really think of, make that connection, but then I thought, so why not bring that into your home? So in, the, in my mind, it's, that's creating a connection with the energy of what you feel. So I think that's very important and because color I've always talked about color as being Zen, you know, has this ability to embrace us if it's used in the right way and if people use colors that speak to them. But I think with nature, it's very powerful. I still am amazed when I go on walks or I'm in nature and I look around and all the shades and the colors. It's quite extraordinary. I just keep learning from it, <laughs> whether I'm at the beach or in the mountains or... You apply an ancient Vedic technique called Vatsu into your practice. So I have a couple of questions. What is the ancient Vedic technique? And then what is Vatsu and how do they relate to what you do? So Vatsu is the is an ancient Vedic technique. It's actually older than feng shui. It's almost seven to 10,000 years old. And it started out in the Vedas. And it's I'm thrilled to be practicing it now. I've studied it over the lockdown and I've done several projects. It's all about attuning your space to nature. And whether you're in the city or in the country, it's all about, it's, it's very simple in a sense that when you walk into a space, it either feels good to you or it doesn't feel good to you. So I think that's something that we can all agree on. So I think there are reasons why a space may not feel good to you. And what Vastu does, the practice of Vastu, the science of Vastu, connects with the five elements and also the cardinal directions, and it creates corrections that you can make in a space so that the energy can flow better. They call it the yoga of the home, or I think of it as almost like acupuncture for the space. So you're actually trying to just get the energy to flow properly in a space. And some of the things, for instance, a rectangular space creates, has a very good energy flow. So Why is that? That's sort of because it's, there's no extensions or jogs or cuts or as soon as a space has maybe an extension or there's like some part of a rectangle that's been cut out, that means that the energy has a possibility to get blocked. And so I have ways through sacred geometry, which might 
be a whole nother hour of getting into, but it's quite fascinating because when you start making these corrections and the energy flows better in a space, it supports the person who's living in it to pursue what they want to pursue. Because when you have a space that's draining you of your energy, then you don't, you have less energy to do the things you want to do in your life. And I've, I've witnessed that time and time again, that as I do these corrections, People will call me and say, oh, this just came through. I'm doing this now. And it, it creates an environment that supports you rather than drains you. And it's so interesting. I can actually envision how the energy of my life has changed in the different places that I've oh, lived. Interesting. And I never really thought of it that way. What are some things that people can do to improve an environment if, say, they live in a place that they don't always feel good in? I mean, there are two basic things that people can do. One is the direction you face when you're working. You're really supposed to face north for more technical work or face northeast for more creative work or east. I had this experience <clears throat> during the lockdown. I, I was facing south, and this sort of has to do with the solar energy from the east and then the magnetic, positive magnetic energy from the north that supports you and helps you and sustains you. And then the, there's an infrared ray from the south that can distract, agitate, and drain. So I've, I experienced it myself, and I had, because my teacher actually came and did my space, my office, and my home. And I used to be very distracted and a little agitated, and as soon as I changed the direction of my desk, I started feeling calmer. And they actually, they've actually done studies on this at schools, and the kids who were facing north or east did 20% better in their exams than the kids that were facing south. So there's science behind it. And I remember my teacher saying, people don't even have to believe in this for it to work. So, that's incredible. So that's fascinating. That's just one example. Oh, do you have any others? One, one more is the optimum way to sleep is to have your head to the south and your feet to the north. And so and you why have is your, that? So it's almost, again, because you're receiving the north is, is replenishing you and regenerating you while you sleep because it's coming towards you. So if your head is to the north, it's almost like two magnets fighting each other. So it's, and I've experienced that too. <laughs> I, this all comes from experience. So it's like, but they also did this in hospitals where the people who had their feet to the north and their head to the south healed more quickly than people who had their head to the north. Well, I see a lot of head nodding. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of people. <laughs> either agree with you or are about to start about to start moving some furniture around. There's a term called biomimicry, which is commonly used to describe design that mimics or emulates nature. And the idea is that often the most clear and efficient solutions can be found in the natural world. And I'd love to hear of a moment when a problem in your work has been solved by looking for the answer in nature. Kiki, you want to go first? Sure. Actually, it was very recent. I did the installation in Milan during Design Week, a whole collection of furniture and objects that was inspired by insects. Mm -hmm. So I took the whole anatomies and colors and the shapes and turned it into, like there was an armchair, there was a lamp, there were windows and, uh, and a carpet. And especially, so insectum means cut up into pieces in Latin. In the armchair, there was an elevated seat that was in the middle and that was hiding the whole construction, just like a body of a beetle and all the legs were coming out and holding the top part where you can lean on. So I think that was one of the, 
one of the ex examples where I definitely looked into the natural world. I know that when you were designing Spiral of Life, we talked earlier about how you looked at the sort of water, the undulating shapes of yeah. the water. How did you integrate those undulating shapes with the sort of angular sense of the bridge? I think it's a contrast. The bridge is very straight lines, edgy. It has a little bit of a curve, but this undulating softness, it was, it was for me about the contrast. I thought that maybe the spaces between the bars, I guess, mm -hmm. I'm not exactly, I don't have the technical knowledge, but the spaces between were mimicking for me the spaces between the bars of the Brit. Ah, that's a really good observation. <laughs> I was more looking at so it's like comfortable for your butt. <laughs> it's, <laughs> for a butt. <laughs> it's not the first time I've overcomplicated something. So thank you. Thank you. Caesar Stone is honored to be a supporter of NYC by Design during its 10th anniversary and a sponsor of Kiki Chudakova's wonderful Spiral of Life installation in Dumbo. This beautiful bench is built to last with Caesar Stone's innovative outdoor court surfacing, the first of its kind and the only of its kind on the market. This groundbreaking collection provides the convenience of stain-resistant, easy-to-clean surfaces while creating a highly durable material proven to withstand all the elements, rain, snow, or shine. For 35 years, Caesar Stone has been crafting surfaces with the Earth's minerals and believes that our products and practices drive responsibility towards the environment and society. At Caesar Stone, we connect nature to the heart of the home. Sarah, what about you? How have you looked at solving problems by looking first at possibly how nature has solved a problem? Well, I was many years ago lucky enough to work on a project in Montana, a ranch at the foot of the Rocky Mountains and the Great Plains on the other side. I was, I'd never been out west before, so for me it was just majestic, this nature. And so we started trying to come up with design schemes and ideas. And I thought, how do you even start? Like, how do you even compete with this beautiful nature? So I said to my client, let's just go on your property and just start roaming and see what we find. And so we, we went on this whole exhibition and collected flowers and took pictures. And we ended up with this huge sort of array of colors and textures and ideas. And it was one of the most exciting projects. And in the end, it just felt like the interior was an extension of the exterior. There was no friction. It just felt fluid. And they had these big picture windows. So that was an example, I felt like, where we really got a chance to. Yeah, that mood board must have been beautiful. <laughs> yeah. What are the differences when using nature as inspiration in designing for something that's interior or personal or private versus exterior and public? Is there a difference? For me, when you're designing an interior for someone, for a person, it's a great sense of responsibility to create a space that speaks to, that reflects them, that's who they are. So it takes a lot of for my clients, at least, it take, I have them really work hard to figure out what they like, what they dislike, and I have to be insightful in terms of translating that. I think for public spaces, and this is why I love NYC by Design does so well, is a sense of community. Like, I think your beautiful bench creates a sense of community, sense of conversation. It breaks the barriers. 
it works more on a global scale. And I think that what NYC by Design is doing too is sort of creating opportunities for people like Kiki to kind of show her beautiful work in a space that people may not either see on the street and be, have access to. So I think those would be the differences, I think. Really. What about when thinking about Vastu? Would there be a different sort of energy way of analyzing and looking at energy from an exterior perspective versus interior? There is actually, and there's a whole nother set of, I mean, it's all sort of based on the same principles and you do have to look at the exterior, especially when you're working with a space that's in nature. So they are related and they do inform each other. So when I'm working on, on private residences, I do have to think about both, how the exterior can affect that. And again, it has to do with the five elements and sort of water versus fire versus earth versus air, space and where it's placed on the property and how that might affect different aspects of their life, depending if there's a pool, for instance, in the southeast of their property, that can affect certain aspects of their life. And you have to find ways to create a barrier for the pool so that it doesn't, because the southeast is the fire element, so that sort of diminishes the fire. So there's all these kind of techniques. It's absolutely captivating. <laughs> yeah, it's like... <laughs> Kiki, what about you? Do you have a different approach when you're commissioned to do something for someone where they're going to be living with it, it's going to be something in their private residence versus designing for something that you know is going to be public and the people and that people are going to be engaging with it that you don't know? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like when you're designing an object for a private person or for yourself, you as a designer have so much more, so much more to express yourself. You're almost like an artist where you don't have to follow certain rules and uh, like people can buy into it, but they don't have to. If they, you don't like my chair, you choose a different one. Whereas in public, I, I believe we need to design democratic furniture, something that works for everyone and follows certain rules. As we know, there was so many difficult bureaucratic issues with just having this bench installed. So definitely, I believe it's so much more difficult to design for public space and needs to be less of a designer. The designer is in the background and rather to have something functional. When thinking about life in New York City, nature isn't really the first image that pops into one's mind. And yet, the natural world is pervasive and we saw how so much of the natural world was coming back into our sort of public urban world during the pandemic. I saw so many images of cities where animals were walking through that might have never been there since before we occupied. And so plants grow in the most unexpected places through the cracks in our sidewalks and pots on our fire escapes unkempt backyards turn into jungles in the spring and summer. If you have any bamboo, it completely takes over. Can you each share your favorite unexpected nature moment that you've come across in New York? I'd love to hear about how you've encountered nature in your practice or in your lives. I have a good one. I uh, just recently, I moved to Greenpoint. There was this apartment with the walnut tree in the back. I was like, okay, I love this. I slept there one night in the morning. There's a squirrel knocking on my window. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I gave her a nut. And <laughs> what kind of nut? I had a peanut. And she has this peanut and she starts coming every morning. Then a second one joined. <laughs> 
during pandemic, they had babies. There was like suddenly six squirrels going to my window. Thanks God they grew up and went away now, but I still have these squirrels going every morning. So there was such a beautiful surprise to have so much nature in New York. And I have a pet outside of my apartment that comes to me and we breakfast together. <laughs> That's incredible. I don't know how many people are familiar with Grace Bonney of Design Sponge, but she's been working with squirrels now as for the same reason. It's such an extraordinary thing. Why do you think that, what was it about the squirrels? Was it just the fact that they came to you? Or was, did you end up having a rapport with this specific species? I love squirrels in Europe. We don't have enough squirrels. So in, in the U.S. you think, oh, it's in the park, or it's a rat with a bushy tail. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's the, it's the thing that they came to me and they keep on coming and they always do something. So it, it's fun. What about you, Sarah? I had an interesting experience, too, during the lockdown, because I was in New York during the lockdown, and I live on the 17th floor. And one day I had this falcon, this little falcon, come and sit on my windowsill, and only to find that they had a nest just up above my window. And so he this falcon would go back and forth and find food and come back, and one day... <laughs> It came and it brought me food. Like it, it came onto my windowsill and it dropped a little mouse. And I thought <laughs> it's like I became part of the family, I guess. And I could hear the, the little, the, their little, the babies chirping. And, and sure enough, each, and it would just come and sit next to me sometimes when I was working at my desk and would just sit there. And it was the most, I have so many pictures of this falcon. I just became a friend. And it comes back, this falcon comes back every year and they have their babies in the same nest. And, and I had a hawk come too. I had an enormous hawk one day just land, which was exciting too. Yeah, you don't need so. to feed them. No, I didn't feed, I don't think I, what I have would, <laughs> would satiate them. Learned that New York is home to the Cooper Hawk and they are plentiful in the five boroughs. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Interesting thing to have learned. <laughs> I want to ask if you could give know. some advice to the audience. If anyone in the audience was looking to work more with materials that will help them feel grounded or closer to the natural world, what materials would you recommend that they use? I love to work with clay. I feel like it's very therapeutical. And also like it's actually the earth, so you feel very close to the earth and the nature. But for me personally, I love 3D printing. It's something that's really not harming the nature in any way. As designers, we always add more products to this world which can lead to more trash. And with 3D printing, we actually, I can like prototype my ideas quickly. It can be recycled and I'm not adding trash to this world. So that's also something where I feel very connected to nature. I'm not sure if the audience can try all of this, but at least the clay is great. Sarah, what about you? I agree. I think I was thinking ceramics too. And I think there's such a history of ceramics in terms of over the years and the ages. People have always used ceramic and somehow it feels grounding. And I also like rattan pieces a lot. To me, that always makes me feel of the outside. And people always talk about using them in a beach house, but I actually like to use them in the city too. Because <laughs> I'm very much trying to create like a 
vacation environment in my New York City home. So I'm a little bit unusual in that sense. But so that's it. And, I, and woods, too. I mean, I think to do to use fallen wood, not to sort of harv not to take down trees, but to use wood that's already fallen. I think Tucker Robbins, after one of the hurricanes, there were all these trees that had fallen in Central Park and wanted to start some sort of a mission to use these trees and create maybe some benches or seating. I think those are a few materials that I would say. Thank you so much. I want to thank you both for joining us today, as well as the audience. Thank you so much for this very special edition of NYC by Designs the Mic. Thank you to our guests, Kiki Kudakova and Sara Banger, their generosity in sharing knowledge, insights, and creative inspirations. Thank you to Big for sharing this beautiful space with us. And thank you to Caesar Stone for being our partner. Follow at NYC by Design on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And please subscribe to the newsletter for the latest in New York City design. Thank you, everyone.